Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And like I said, this morning, when we uh, did the show, I, I showed that everybody is back in the bondage of Egypt. All the problems you see, the recession, that's because you're not doing what Christ said. The, uh, the fact that you couldn't do much about COVID, the fact that thousands of people died from COVID, the fact that people were coerced into getting a vaccination that is still experimental. It's all because the Christians aren't really Christians. They're not really doing what Christ said. They say they believe in Christ, but they don't actually know what he said, even though it's right in the biblical text. And we went over in great detail that, you know, Jesus said, you've seen the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority. You're not to be that way. Yet, 90% of all social welfare in America, in the world today, comes to you by way of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. In other words, force the contributions of your neighbor. They don't live by charity. They don't live by love. They live by force. They have instituted the rule of force and even the rule of violence to force their neighbor to pay for their student loans, provide them with a free education, provide them with protection by the police. All this is done by force forced contributions, and violence. And and when Alexis Tocqueville came to America to look at how they were doing it here in America, he was shocked how they were doing all the things that they were trying to get done in Europe, but doing it through charity, through free associations, where people just, you know, they said, we need a road, and they all get together and build a road. And they contribute their time and their effort. They needed, needed a school. You know, like Thomas Jefferson even wanted to pass a statute that everybody had to build a school within walking distance of their home. Within five miles of the homes in every every single little district throughout Virginia. They couldn't get it passed. And, of course, there was no funding for getting it passed. I mean, it wasn't like they were going to put all those schools on the tax rolls. The schools were built by charity, by free labor, by the efforts of the parents and the people who were members of the community. They'd all show up like a barn raising and they'd build a school. And they'd all chip in to pay for a school teacher. And it was all done by charity. It was a public school. But it was all done by charity. Even tuitions were voluntary. Of course, if they knew you, that you had enough money and you could pay in, they'd give you a hard time if you weren't paying into the school. Just like, you know, seamen might give the other seamen a hard time because they they never buy a round of drinks for anybody but themselves. In order to come up in the world's view of your neighbors, you had to contribute. And your neighbors knew if you were lazy or not. Same thing goes on in the Amish community. They go out to build a barn. There's some guys who show up first with the straightest and finest of lumber and work the hardest and the last ones to leave. And there's other guys that are the last ones to get there and the first ones to leave. 
And they all help each other anyway, but everybody knows who the lazy guys are. And there's a little bit of shaming and guilt in the community if you don't, if you don't try, if you don't work. But those guys who do work and do try and do give their all, people go way out of their way to help those guys when they need help. And, and that's just human nature. And that's the way it should be because those bonds of society that you create by that personal sacrifice for your neighbor are what's going to bring the people together when there's a fire, when there's a flood, when there's an invasion by, you know, Chinese troops or whoever is going to come and invade your country. Everybody will show up for each other because you're used to showing up for each other because you have created the bonds of a free society. But if you go to the government for everything, you know, when, when suddenly the government, you know, is here, you know, the guy from the government is here to help, He's going to make you put on masks and take vaccinations and uh, shut down your business and fine you because too many customers were in the store without having a mask on. Then you get all afraid and you're making all your customers wear a mask, even though all the studies, all the legitimate studies show there are serious health hazards to people who wear masks all the time. You know, in Europe, some people have to wear masks for the job. Every couple of hours, they get a half hour off, half hour break without their masks. Because of the fact that they know it's not healthy to wear that mask all the time. You, you don't, you know, the mask they wear in surgery, that isn't for viruses. That isn't going to work. But now, just saying this, I could get censored on Facebook. Your, your media is all controlled. Your, your, Social media is all controlled. And because of that, you're all out of control. And because you, you've looked to the government for the last almost hundred years for all your social welfare, you don't know how to be free people anymore. You know how to be angry, you know how to be judgmental, but you don't know how to be free people. Not free people that could stand up against an actual foe or enemy. I mean, you you couldn't even stand up to the mass mandates. You couldn't even stand up. You you saw your neighbor's businesses ruined. Businesses that got fined. Ridiculous amounts of money for doing nothing wrong. Well, I live in the least vaccinated county in the state of Oregon. That's, that's a brag. <laughs> because... Some of the people here were thinking for themselves. And they've had to think for themselves because it's, it's a hard life in this county. It, it's a desert. And uh, it's, it's not a wealthy county. And people have to work hard. And people who work hard are respected way more than the people who hardly work. You know, it's kind of a joke. People ask about, so is he a good worker? They ask these questions. That's one of the points of conversation. And I, I remember when a guy says, well, you have to count it. You have to pound a stake in the ground to see if he's moving. <laughs> I thought, thought that was an interesting uh, visual metaphor there. That you had to pound a stake in the ground to see if he was moving. You had to have this frame of reference, I guess, because he moves so slow. But the guys who are hard workers, people will bend over backwards, do all kinds of favors for them, give them the shirt off their back because... 
they consider that hard work is a virtue. They 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 see it as a necessity for a society. The troublemakers, the backbiters, uh, they find it harder to get a job. And so either people wake up and apply themselves, or they go to another county, you know, Portland, <laughs> someplace like that, Eugene. And uh, that's the nature of society. Those are the virtual nature of society. So one of the things, and I've been working on it for a while, off and on, as I get time, is a uh, web page on tribalism. Because in Israel was tribes, right? But isn't tribalism kind of bad? I mean, don't people say something bad about tribalism? I don't know. Is tribalism a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Where does tribalism fit in the scheme of things? And uh, that that's an interesting idea and concept uh, as to what, what, what is tribalism and... and you know, you look at Abraham, they were tribes. There were tribes around him. Abraham was kind of a tribe. Nine hundred they could put he could put nine hundred armed men into the field of battle right out of his own group there. Because he Abraham didn't just go with his family. It, when Abraham I mentioned that this morning, Abraham could have been the king of Iran. He was next in line. His his father, Terah, when he left Ur because Abraham's brother was put to death, probably for breaking one of the codes of this civilized society. I mean, you could be put to death if you helped a slave escape. And some reason or other, he was put to death, and Terah said, I have enough of the corruption of Ur. And so he went off and he started Haran, because he could do it without corruption. Or at least he thought he could. He could be a man of authority without corruption, and he might for a generation. But would that go for two generations or three generations? Well, Abraham, deep in his heart, listening to God as the Holy Spirit speaking to him in his heart, he knew he had to get away from even Haran, from, from the, his family, his nativity, and do something completely different. Now, if you, if you knew the ancient Jewish folklore about Abraham and Abraham's birth and uh, the fact that they his birth was predicting that he would set people free free from what? Free from civilized society. Well, we'll have to define what civilized society, but we'll do that at another time. But the city-states, the people belonged to the king. They were subjects. They were human resources. To some degree or another, they were usually some sort of socialism incorporated into their civilized society. It was a part of their culture after a few generations. It's what they knew. And uh, and with that came a weakening. And, and you can go to Proverbs, you know, the dainties of rulers, you know. If you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat. Well, see, Abraham could have been that ruler. That benevolent ruler who rightly divides the bread from house to house. And he could have done that. But he said there was something wrong with this. And in the Jewish folklore, as they lay out the story of Abraham's birth and Abraham being raised up. And and Abraham 
uh, questioning the power centralization that comes when you all have one purse, which Proverbs also writes about that. We have an article up, one purse. Somebody, just before the program, I saw on one of our networks in the Carolinas or someplace, uh, they asked one of the ministers. I just was, I just saw it, so I just answered it really quick. But they said they looked at preparing you for the apostasy. The article on the apostasy. Well, if you just go up to the search engine and type in the word apostasy, I mean, before you get the O in, the, the word would, should pop up. Uh, you can search one word, and if that word is in the title, that title should show up. If it's in the article, you'll see several articles that mention that word. Uh, the more words you put in there, the less likely you'll find the article. The other article they wanted to find was on the great delusion. Well, in the King James, it says strong delusion. And so, that's what the article's under. If you type in the word, start to type in the word strong, you'll see the article strong delusion. And I actually originally put it in where I capitalized strong and capitalized delusion, but the ultimate article is just strong delusion. And so anyway, I sent those links off to them on the Carolina group. And you can do that if you join the network, which is an email network. If you join the living network, we can send you a lot more than just emails. But it's because you're actually seeking the righteousness of God. You're seeking to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and actually caring about others as much as you care about yourself, which is what Abraham knew people had to do. So he had gone back to Ur numerous times. He was always welcome there. But he was trying to figure out how you create a free society in what is often sometimes an inhospitable environment where kings could come along or rulers could come along or invading Chinese armies could come along and take over your country. Or maybe your king just took over your country, like the Tarquinian kings uh that were the king in, in Rome, they kind of just took over Rome. And eventually they threw out the Tarquinian kings and started a republic. And, and they were tribes. They weren't just Etruscans or Romans, but they were a variety of tribes. They even called themselves, well, at least we translate the word into leagues. And so when Abraham left Ur with the Many souls, it says. He brought these people out. But he wasn't just his little group. Uh, you know, if he had 900 fighting men, you, you had to figure that there were a couple thousand people at least moving around with Abraham and whatever you want to call that, Abraham the tribe. But he went to other local tribes and he, you know, interacted with them, traded with them. If they were constantly moving, there would be some tribes that would be in an area where they might grow grain and crops. And so you could take your sheep and your wool and your things that you make and you could trade with them to get those items that you might want besides sheep meat all the time. <laughs> wool. Maybe you wanted some linen. And so you had to go to a flax farmer who was growing linen and maybe making linen and trade with him. So, but what he did was he was teaching them how to create a social welfare system for their own communities that strengthened those social bonds. 
And just as the culture of Nimrod and the culture of the Hammurabi codes in the civilized society of Ur began to fashion and form the character of the people, so did this system of altars of clay and stone set up by Abraham and Moses altered those people. But most of the people reading the Bible don't know what the altars of clay and stone are. They think they're piles of stone that they burn up sheep and somehow that makes them holy because they burn up sheep. Isn't that amazing that people actually believe that that biblical text that God said, yeah, I want you to build piles of stone, got a sheep, put it up on the piles of stone, set it on fire, and that will make me happy, and then I will bless you. Because you killed sheep and set them on fire. You sacrificed those sheep. That, you, you have to be a little bit uh, psychotic to believe that that's actually what the Bible is telling you to do. And I know a lot of people aren't going to believe that, which is why I wrote another article. Look up the word sophistry. Sophistry, you know, artifice in language land, the same thing. Because I'll put it under a, maybe a more complex title and then I'll shorten up the title so that you can do an easy search and people will remember the word sophistry so you can look that up. But those altars were where you donated your free will offerings to take care of the needy of your society to create those social bonds necessary that come with a social safety net based on charity. See, in Ur, they had a social safety net too. In Nimrod's time, they had a social safety net too. I mean, Nimrod was that mighty provider instead of God. So, he was the social safety net. And he had treasuries and and people had to donate in and and then if you fell on hard times, you know, he would pay an army to protect you. Saul did that. He forced a sacrifice so he could fund an army to protect the people. But he was told that his his tribe, his gathering of twelve tribes would not stand. It would fall apart. His kingdom would fall apart. Because he forced an offering. But you guys force offerings all the time. You call it taxes. In, in Israel, they call it tithes. There were no taxes. There were tithes. What's the difference between a tithe and a tax? Well, tithe, you decide. You know, theoretically, it should be 10% of what you produce should go to the king. But Jesus tells you that if if a guy owes 10%, you go. his ministers were supposed to go to him and say, what do you owe? And he says, well, I owe 10% because that's my tithe. Or maybe 20% because you could, there were extra tithes that they could, they talk about symbolically at least. But Jesus said, the good minister will say, okay, you owe this much. What can you afford to give me? What do you want to give me? What do you think is right? Well, you know, if all things were equal, I'd give this much, but I don't really have it, so I can only give this much. And what was he supposed to do? According to Jesus, write down painful. So there's no penalty. It's the tithing. The difference between tithing and taxes is tithing is voluntary. You don't go to jail if you don't pay your tithe. But because you're in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, people know who's giving and who's not giving. Who's 
who really shows up for the other guy. I mean, and some people will make it, you know, like the, the, the old deal where the guy drops a washer in the <laughs> a collection basket, and it sounds like he put a big coin there. <laughs> or maybe he puts an envelope, and you think there's a check in there, and it's actually empty. There's no check in there. Nobody can remember who put that envelope in because there's all the other envelopes. So, I mean, you're going to get that. But people people find out who's really generous and who's not really generous. And, you know, we don't have to keep track entirely. But you, nobody gets away with anything. But the point of it is that you don't go to jail if you don't tithe. You know, but I can tell you this. If you don't show up for your neighbor, don't expect your neighbor to show up for you. Because, see, what happens is that you've all become social distance. You know, like, who showed up for you when the, the mask mandates were going to fine you or shut down your business? Well, some guys did. A lot of guys didn't. But we've forgotten how to do it. And like I said this morning, that if you go the way that we've gone since FDR, you'll have people raped in the streets and nobody does anything about it. And we know that because we, we hear that in the news. We, people get shot in the street. You know, what was it uh, somebody was talking, I just heard him this morning, saying that eight guys were shot in town, in, in the town that he was in, I think he was in New York City. And it was only Monday. It's like the old movie, Support Your Local Sheriff. There were two killings in the saloon, and it wasn't even sundown yet. And so, if it, any more of this, he was going to shut down the saloon. It's James Gardner. It's kind of a comedy. And the sheriff goes out. He just arrested the bad guy. And uh, the saloon keeper says, You heard the sheriff. No more killing till the sun goes down. <laughs> Which wasn't the exact interpretation I think the sheriff had in mind. <laughs> but people see things the way they want to see them. And... The fact is, is Abraham was showing people how to create a free society. And so, in looking at this idea of tribalism, tribalism is the state or fact of being organized in a tribe or tribes. Because tribalism can be more than one tribe. So, Israel was at least 12 tribes. Or at least 12 groups of people we call tribes. I mean, the Levites were one group, but there were a lot of people who were Levites that were not originally Levites. They became Levites because they were adopted into the Levite, Levite tribe. I mean, a lot of the people that were traveling with the Israelites who left Egypt out of, after 400 years of the slavery you're now in, 400 years of owning, own, only owning 80% of their labor. See, 20% of their labor belonged to the government. And, and, and I'm sure that got higher, although not to increasing the 20%, because like I said, in Egypt, under Mubarak, the income tax was still only 20%. And that was thousands of years later. But there are all kinds of other little taxes that they could get a little extra money here and there, you know. I mean, in America, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there are people paying 50% income tax, plus Social Security, plus property tax, plus, plus capital gains tax, plus inheritance tax. And then, of course, the great hidden tax of all is inflation. 
I sat down to eat with somebody. Somebody invited us out to a restaurant and sat down to eat with a group of people. And uh, we're talking about some of these same things. And I says, yeah, you're taxed so much that all the money in your pocket is worth less by the time you finish eating than it was worth when you walked in the door. The value in your pocket, in your bank account, is gone. And it was removed by the policies of your king, of your government, of your rulers, who exercise authority. But the reason they're your rulers is because you've looked to them for your social welfare and your benefits and for your protection. And you should have been providing that for one another. So tribalism can be said to be this state of being organized in or an advocate for a traditional society consisting of families or groups of families which form communities with shared values. Well, how do you form communities with shared values? And what is a community? I should make that a highlight in the article on tribalism. Because a community was people who shared a common communion. And communion, like the Eucharist of Christ, you know, I mentioned this morning, Antonius Pius was, received a letter from Justin the Martyr. And the letter was explaining how Christians took care of one another. They met every week. And those that had extra shared with those that didn't have enough. They shared through free will offerings. Now we know how Antonius Pius did it. He forced people to contribute. <laughs> they had to, uh, even Augustus Caesar, long before Antonius Pius, you had to go and offer things of value, including incense or coins or whatever, to the temple every year professing Augustus Caesar to be the Son of God. If you go look up our article on Savior, we show you that that's, that was actually required because Augustus was called the Son of God. Jesus was called the Son of God too, where you can... You can imagine, well, wait a minute, are, are they brothers? <laughs> They're operating completely different. Jesus says to do it through love, using a word that is also translated charity. Take care of one another through charity. That's not what Augustus Caesar was saying. He was saying that we force the taxes on the rich. And the poor go, yeah! Or we force the taxes on... You know, the Gauls or the Celts or the Britons. And we sell them and their children into slavery. And then we take the proceeds from that and fund our government. I mean, when Augustus Caesar de defeated those people who stood against Julius Caesar, who had sold a million Gauls into slavery and was now seizing power and... and uh, using troops, crossing the Rubicon, using troops against Roman citizens. And so a group of 
Romans who wanted to return to the values of the Republic, to the culture of the Republic, went and stabbed Julius Caesar. They couldn't find any other way of stopping him. Of course, if all the people repented and didn't say, yeah, I love those benefits that Julius gives me. I love those stimulus checks I get from Julius Caesar. I love the enhanced unemployment that I'm getting. So I don't want to go back to work. I just want to sit and watch cartoons. You know, maybe I'll get the back patio painted or something. Because, see, the moral character of America is kaput. It isn't there anymore. It isn't there like Alexis Tocqueville says. Now, see, I'm mentioning Alexis Tocqueville several times. We have a whole page on Alexis Tocqueville. You can go, we, you know, I've highlighted a lot of the quotes from his different books on pauperism. That talks about legal charity. Uh, on what made America great. See, I, I don't hear... Donald Trump saying the things that Alexis Tocqueville said. Maybe a little, he leans that way a little bit more than, certainly more than Biden, certainly more than Hillary. But the real solution isn't Donald Trump. You you don't have to wait for the election of a president that you like in order to save America. You just have to repent and start doing what we were supposed to be doing for the last 100 years that Christ told us to do for the last 2,000 years. And you're not doing. Yet you claim Christ. But you're not abiding in the love of Christ. You're abiding in the covetous practices of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor at the hands of men who are rulers of government who call themselves benefactors but don't give you anything except what they took away from your neighbor. Which again is a covetous practice. Which will make you merchandise and curse your children with debt. Make you all human resources, what Peter calls merchandise. And deliver you back into the bondage of Egypt. Which is where you're at right now. And you got there while you were pretending to believe in Jesus. Jesus was setting the captive free the modern apostate church, which you can find out more about by looking up the article apostasy. I could put it under apostate as well. So you could find it if you looked up the wrong word. You could still find it. The modern church, and that was another movie I saw this weekend when I was recovering. This one that talked about the Sabbath. And and they were talking about a number of things. You know, it was... I, I didn't know it at first, but then I found out it was Seventh-day Adventist. And they were, of course, they were trying to equate the the beast with the Roman papacy. Well, the beast is not the Roman papacy. The beast is the world government. You know, the, the Great Reset, the New World Order. Now, admittedly, like the European Union, who's who's the father of the European Union? Who got a plaque from the European Union thanking this individual as the father of the European Union? Back in 2000. Well, it was the Pope. The Pope was the father of the European Union. Because the Pope, you know, I don't want to pick on Catholics, but that's the harlot that rides the beast. The beasts are government. Always in prophecy, the beasts were governments. It wasn't the papacy. Yeah, the papacy is this kind of separate government. But the kingdom of God was the separate government. 
not of the world, not of the constitutional orders and systems of government. But the problem here, this is where the problem comes. Now, a lot of Catholics are going to have a hard time with that, and I, I, I love them. I, I just want them to start seeing the gospel of the kingdom and start seeking righteousness rather than the self-righteousness, just the same as the Seventh-day Adventists. They think they're all self-righteous because they keep Saturday. But they don't keep the Sabbath. Because they're all just as much debt as you are to the traveling merchants of the earth, the, the bankers of the world. Because you've all created this artificial money system that is making you all merchandise. Where you don't own your property, you have legal title, but that include the beneficial interest. We explain all that, but... If you don't understand me, you're just going to have to look at more of the, and listen to more of the articles, uh, you know, the shows that are often on the different pages. But the point is, is that we're all back in the bondage of Egypt. We don't own our land anymore. We don't own our children. They can force our children to get vaccinated. So, well, they're not forcing the kids to get vaccinated. Well, they're, eventually they may do that. They certainly had several laws on the books in the state of Oregon, or at least scheduled to be put on the books in the state of Oregon to force vaccinations on everybody. And right now, the army, the military, right this week, they're saying no matter how long you've been in the service, no matter this, that, and the other thing, they've been putting pressure on them for a long time, but now it's like they got 30 days. 30 days to get the vaccination. Which would probably fit in a timeline of, of course, Luke, Luke Montagnier, about three years after you get the vaccine. And you don't know what's in the vaccinations. There's nobody, there's no government agency watching the process control of making these experimental vaccines. There's nobody who's sitting there. I mean, your meat is better inspected than these vaccines. And you're going to be injecting these jabs into your body. And they don't even want to tell you how they came up with them for, what was it, they wanted 75 years before they they revealed their process. Now, I understand a lot about their process. Most people don't understand. There are plenty of guys, like I say, go listen to Epoch Times. Go listen to their interviews. I mean, they're totally banned on Twitter and stuff like that because... They're actually doing real science with real scientists and reporting what the real scientists, real scientists are finding. Now, I know a lot of people want to believe the media and CNN and all this stuff, but they're not telling you the truth. But according to Montagnier, about three years after you get a series of these, your immune system will drop. And, of course, that's what we're seeing with antibody enhancement and... uh, and uh, the programming that's going on, the reduced uh, amount of T1 cells, all that is showing up. I mean, most of the people getting sick now are the vaccinated, not the unvaccinated. Most of the people carrying virus are the vaccinated. They're carrying it. They have higher vac- uh, virus levels, even though they're new viruses all the time. They have a poor immune system. I, I know all kinds of people who died just within days of getting the shot. I know nobody who died actually from COVID. I, I know people, a few people that they attributed to COVID, but there were all kinds of other health issues. Remdesivir, I know people who died of Remdesivir. 
I mean, it's just a fact. You know, and I'm in contact with lots and lots of people all over the all over the world. But your media is not telling you. It's all censored. But it's because you're not in a network like Christ commanded his followers to get into to start protecting one another. So anyway, back to, well, let's see, are we running out of time? Uh, well, we may have enough time to get to this. So anyway, this, this idea of tribalism. Now, tribalism can be really bad. Tribalism can be really good. Israel was tribal, and they were good most of the time, but over several hundred years, they did some very bad things through their tribe. But they did really bad things under their kings as well. So the the fact that is the determinant in this is not whether it was tribalism or not tribalism. It's the values, the virtues that are a part of the culture of your tribe that must be passed down from generation to generation. So this term, in terms of conformity, tribalism may also refer in popular cultures to terms and ways of thinking or behaving in which people are loyal to their own tribe or to their social group or to those common values and accepted cultural virtues. This is one of the reasons why you don't just Think highly of somebody who seems to be contributing a lot because Julius Caesar was contributing huge volumes of wealth to the Roman people, who, like I said in the morning show, they so and, and other shows, so that the Roman people who wanted to prosecute him for war crimes against the Gauls, which there were many. They said, "No, we don't want to prosecute him because he gives us all these." benefits. And of course, people are doing that right now. People have been doing that for literally generations. Voting in the guy that gives them the most free benefits. Now, maybe you don't, but how many people are voting in a Democrat because he's going to promising or theoretically promising to pay the student loans or expand the welfare or improve your schools or you know do things for you at the expense of your neighbor? But he's going to, you know, maybe he's going to borrow money against the future of your children to give you stuff today. And you think you're keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath is, is not a day. It's a way. You work first and you earn what you receive. Or you depend upon charity to get what you don't have now. If you are depending upon force to get what you want to have by taking away from your neighbor, that's clearly a covetous practice. People are so accustomed to that, they don't even want to look at that. Well, no, no, we all have to pay taxes. I didn't say anything about paying or not paying taxes. I'm talking about getting benefits that are provided by men who exercise authority one over the other by taking away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff today. Even if it means taking away from your neighbor in the future because you're borrowing against the future. You're certainly doing all that. And that is not what Christ, Christ was saying the exact opposite. Proverbs said the exact opposite. Psalms, uh, David said the exact opposite. 
opposite. Uh, Paul quotes David, What should have been for your welfare has become a snare and a trap. Paul says this in the New Testament. You think you know the New Testament. You think you're a minister. Did you know that Paul said that, quoting David? Do you know why he said He talks about tables that you eat at. They talk about the table of Christ. They talk about a daily ministration, which is the free bread of Christ, rightly divided from house to house. But 90% of the welfare in your churches is provided by men who exercise authority one over the other, calling themselves benefactors, but simply taking away from your neighbor to provide you with free stuff. Jesus is going to tell you, get ye from me. I know you're not, because you're a worker of iniquity. Because it's iniquitous to covet your neighbor's goods. To take away from your neighbor through men who exercise authority. It is directly contrary to what Jesus said. So the early Christian community was composed of such tribes as well as the early Israel was composed of such tribes. They didn't call it. The emphasis wasn't on the tribe. As a matter of fact, Paul even warns them about, you know, saying, oh, we're of this guy or we're of that guy, you know, we're of his tribe, you know, Apollos or, or Paul. Because he didn't want you dividing each other with tribes. But yet they were still organized according to the command of Christ in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So if you had ten families gathering together in a home church and they got together and picked a minister who picked a minister for himself, along with nine other ministers, then you're gathered in the tens and hundreds. Well, that's like a tribe. It's it's that group, because that's what a tribe is. This is a group based on families. But everybody in the group are not necessarily blood-related, but they're related with the blood of Christ. Because they're actually doing... What Christ said. They're taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They're not taking care of one another through the men who exercise authority, through force and fear and violence, which is used by government. They're actually, they're not going to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, take away from somebody else so I can have more stuff. They're not going to Nimrod and saying, Nimrod, you be a mighty provider instead of the Lord. They're going to one another and having the conversation saying, I need help. They have to put their hat in the hand and say, you know, other families in congregation with me I fell on hard times and need help. And and they help them. And they're creating a... This is what we see in Acts. They have dearths. They have shortages of food. And they take up collections and they send aid. And There was aid going to come from Rome, but they wouldn't take that aid. As a matter of fact, Christians were sometimes put to death because they would not join local temples. Because of the jealousy and envy. Now, that's, you know, we have whole articles that show you this. We show you the trials, the conversations at the trials of Christians in North Africa. Explaining what they will do and not do. But for some reason, this just skips the imagination of modern ministers and therefore their congregations. They miss it. But the early Christian community, they were taking care of all the free bread in the early Christian community. Not through force, but through actual charity. Just like John the Baptist said. Just like Jesus said. Just like Paul said. 
As a matter of fact, if you're covetous, we're not supposed to have anything to do with you. And you're certainly covetous if you want men who exercise authority to take away from your neighbor to provide you with Social Security, a bankrupt system, identical to the Corbin of the Pharisees. And you should know that, especially if you're claiming to be a minister. And we have an article on Corbin. You can look that up at preparingyou.com. And we're going through a process where we're going to put a great deal of these articles up at hisholychurch.org. There are already many, 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 many articles there as well. There's several books, numerous books, all for free. You don't have to buy them. Just download them. If you get one of those deals, that it'll read them to you. <laughs> Might have a little trouble with the Greek and Hebrew in there. But it's all available to know. But really where you're going to learn is that you actually start doing what Christ said. Because he said it's not those who say, Lord, Lord. You know, you can go sing in your church all you want. You can put your hands over your head and praise God and everything. But if you're not doing what Jesus said, if you're doing the contrary to what Jesus said, you're in a lot of trouble. You're foolish virgins without any oil. How do you get oil? Why, why do they run short of oil? What does that mean? What is that a metaphor for? We'll go on over here. Tribalism has been defined as a way of being based upon variable combinations of kinship based organization, reciprocal exchange, manual production, oral communication and analogical inquiry. That all sounds very complicated, but but like I said, being brothers in Christ, the blood we have in common is the blood of Christ. It And that blood of Christ is that he laid down his life for his fellow man. And he said there's no greater love that we have than we lay down our life for our fellow man, which is why I added to that page on grief because Jordan Peterson said that the ultimate evidence of love is grief. And I said, no, it's not. The ultimate evidence of love is sacrifice. Because you could be sad that somebody's gone, but for the wrong reason. You could have a lot of grief because they're gone. You know, like the guy who, you know, is living off of somebody who dies and now he's not going to get his Social Security check anymore. He may feel really sad that person's gone. But that's not love. He just misses the free check. <laughs> so, no. The ultimate love is sacrifice. Where you give up something that you have already or something you like or something... You know, somebody was talking about these groups that they share. They do a lot of sharing in their groups. Good. I, I'm all for that. Although it has to be a sharing that strengthens the poor. But the reality is, is where Christianity comes in is when you share not out of your surplus, but out of your want. So that's why sacrifice is the ultimate evidence of love. But the sacrifice has to be free will offerings. Which is what a tithe is. It's free will offering to the, to the minister you choose to give it to, to the person you Choose to share with. Because the choice is in your hands. And that's the government of the people. For the people and by the people. If you give the power of choice to your rulers. They will say everybody's got to give. 
You know, they're not just going to set the basket in front of you. They're going to reach into your pocket and take what they want. They may redistribute and help a lot of people. But that's not free society. That's your centralizing power and power corrupts. And you will end up with a corrupt government. So one of the cycles of societies, whether it's tribalism or not. You know, tribalism is kind of a derogatory term in the sense that it is a society motivated by cultural tribalism. Well, it depends again on the values of that tribalism. It's not that you wear a certain insignia, you put on a certain uniform, you have a certain, you know, cut of your beard or you, you know, that was why they were talking about not braiding your hair because people would identify what tribe or group they were a part of by the way they braided their hair. And it was creating divisions in people. And, of course, there were lots of societies that did that. But we're, we're to be... We're tribal in the sense that we're organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, but we all have one blood. We all have one character, which is the character of Christ, the blood of Christ. Because we're not living by force, we're living by faith. We, we're gathering together to set the captive free. We're, we want the whole world to be saved, not just our, our buddies, not just our tribe. Which is why I wrote the article on the red heifer. If you don't understand what the red heifer was, it had nothing to do with a cow and nothing to do with the color red. You don't believe me? Go read the article. But what happens in society is that the, the cycles of society, and, and there's the old phrase, hard times produce strong men. Strong men produce good times. Good times produce weak men. And uh, weak men produce hard times. I see, I got a typo in there. <laughs> the, the, tri- the tribal cultural existence matters culture matters and so those values and virtues will matter and we find them in the teachings of Christ and believe it or not you also find them in the teachings of Moses you don't find them in the teachings of the Pharisees who twisted Moses and as Jesus said they didn't even know Moses if they knew Moses I mean they were preaching Moses right Jesus doesn't say they weren't preaching Moses. He did. He even said they were sitting in the seat of Moses. But they didn't know Moses. And they would have known Moses. Or, or if they did know Moses, they would have known him. So if you think Moses was who the Pharisees said he was, you probably don't know who Jesus is either. Well, I know you don't know who Jesus is if you think that Jesus was saying it was okay to go to men and call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other to get your daily bread. Because those are the fathers of the earth. And see, if you don't understand who the fathers of the earth, you need to go read our article on the fathers. You can look that up at preparing you fathers. What... What has entered into our society, it only was able to enter into our society because of the fact that the Christian churches were the daughters of the harlot. The modern, I mean, I'm not saying anything against the first guys who were becoming Baptists or Lutherans or what. I'm sure amongst all those movements and groups, there were really sincere guys that were not far from the kingdom. 
But because of Nimrod, or I should say because of FDR, and our willingness to accept the idea that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government, we've turned our back on certain truths right there in the biblical text, right out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. And actually rejected the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now people who have turned the Holy Spirit into an emotional experience will say, no, no, I really love the Holy Spirit and I I feel the Holy Spirit when I go to church and I wave my hands and and I'm just filled with the Holy Spirit, you know. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's a spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, like I said this morning, explained, is not an emotional experience. It's it's almost devoid of emotions. I mean, there's a joy and a release that comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit. But, and a strength, and a confidence. But, it's not an emotional experience. You don't have to go and renew that emotional experience to have a renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit listens where it will. You cannot conjure it up with songs and rituals. You see, God doesn't... He can get all radio stations. He he does not need your singing. He needs your harmony with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And he, and he doesn't need it personally. It doesn't make him more satisfied or less satisfied. But... His sheep hear his voice and he hears his sheep. But his sheep aren't saying what the modern Christians are saying. The covetous practices are okay. The Corbin of the Pharisees is okay. The Corbin of the Pharisees, the sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect because it was not free will offerings anymore. Which is why John the Baptist in his entire message was saying, if you have two coats... And your neighbor has none. Share. Do the same in meats. That, he laid that out. I mean, yeah, the, the soldiers asked, well, what about us? Because they were committed. They were under another authority. He says, well, do right by your position. Don't take bribes. You know, be a good soldier. Which is like being a good cop. Because that, the soldiers were like cops. And Judea, I mean, the whole presence of Rome was a police force. They were loved. That was another thing in the movie, The Son of God. They, they make it out of Pontius Pilate was this terrible, horrible guy. And that his wife was this kind of almost silly, superstitious woman. And that he was terribly afraid of what Tiberius Caesar might do if he screwed up again. Because supposedly Tiberius sold him one more time. Nonsense. That's historical nonsense. It's not even in the Bible, but it's historical nonsense. Pontius Pilate's wife was the favorite granddaughter of Tiberius. Tiberius was ill and went to a, an island to recover and appointed Pontius Pilate to be the procurator of Rome for that short period of time where he said, there is... Another king, one Jesus, who is the king of Judea, the king of Judea, the king of Judea. But anyway, we're out of time. We may have to continue this later and learn more about the ideology of tribalism and what's good and what's bad. 
But until then, I will have to tell you, peace on your house, and may God be with you. And join the network at preparingyou.com. Join the living network and become a part of those people seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.